Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we're kicking off a brand new series, Journey Women Goes to Seminary. In this seven-part series, we are covering seminary topics in a way we hope will encourage you to pursue deeper theological study. You guys, the lineup for this series is stellar. Today, we're kicking things off with a professor who has had an impact on one of our very own here at Journey Women, Lauren Bowerman, our creative content manager. Lauren actually pitched the idea for this entire series by telling me about this hermeneutics class from Dr. Shaddix, today's guest, that she took during her time at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. She said it was life-changing, and she would love for you guys to have a little taste of that experience. So we asked him to join us. Jim Shaddix serves as professor of preaching at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, occupying the W.A. Criswell Chair of Expository Preaching. He also serves as a senior fellow for the Center of Preaching and Pastoral Leadership, has pastored churches all over the country, and served as the dean of the chapel and professor of preaching at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Shaddix is an author, husband, friend, and grandfather, and let me tell you, this conversation with him will encourage you to walk in dependence on Jesus every minute of every day. Also, hey, I want to say a huge thank you to Courtney Doctor, Christine Gordon, and Melissa Kruger for helping us execute this series. We could not have done it without you guys. Dr. Shaddix, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Thank you, Hunter. It's a joy to be with you. We are so excited to have you today. You are uh, a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. They've been a long-term sponsor of the Journey Women podcast, but there's so many things that you do, but I want to pull out one that's particularly personal to us here at Journey Women. You are actually a professor for one of our team members, Lauren Bowerman, who's actually on the call today. So welcome, Lauren. Thank you. So excited to be here. One of the things that Lauren shared with me, Dr. Shaddix, when she was recounting her seminary experience before we ever had the idea for this series, Journey Women Goes to Seminary, is that she remembers sitting in her hermeneutics class and that changing the way that she read the Bible, like for all time. So uh, we thought it would be really cool to get to have one of the most impactful classes that she had during her seminary experience here on Journey Women Today. And just kind of a little nugget. I know we're asking a lot of you to try and encapsulate what you communicate in a class in one hour. So thanks for taking on the challenge. It's a joy. And that's a great encouragement, Lauren. Thank you for, uh, I love hearing how God uses his word and preaching as well as uh, teaching it in the classroom. So that's, that's a great, great joy. Well, before we get started, tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Where are you at in the world? And what are you up to now? As you said, I teach at Southeastern Seminary. I've been on the faculty here about eight years. I previously taught uh, at New Orleans Seminary, uh, taught preaching there and served as dean of the chapel a number of years ago. I've pastored four churches uh, as a senior pastor and then also served as a teaching pastor uh, with David Platt at the Church of Brook Hills for about three years. 
I'm married to my wife, Deborah, 37 years. Uh, we've been uh, partners. We have three grown children, and those three children have given us 10 grandchildren. So That's we, amazing. Uh, we're enjoying that stage of life. Uh, I'm, I'm really a, a fish out of water in theological education. I'm a practitioner. I'm a pastor at heart um, and uh, certainly love the assignment of uh, training pastors and preachers and teachers of God's word. But, uh, you know, sometimes in this theological arena and academic arena, I guess, I, uh, I, I feel a little overwhelmed and intimidated. So I I describe myself as a shade tree mechanic, and that's uh, so that's uh, that's who I am. So I probably I tell you this too. I'm a big Alabama uh, football fan. I have roots in Alabama. I, I only tell you that because I was born and raised in Texas. So I'm probably the only person from Texas that doesn't claim Texas as home. So yeah. it's true. I'm not <laughs> even from Texas, and I claim Texas. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. My husband and I also went to Alabama, so we are big Alabama fans as well. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. <laughs> it's funny that you say that you're, you feel outside of the academic arena because I, in your teaching of me when I was in your class seven years ago now, wow. I felt that pastoral leaning. Like I felt like you were pastoring us while you taught us. So I think that is such a cool thing for me to see in your heart. That's something that, that's, your, that's your passion to pastor. One of the reasons I thought of you and the reason I feel so impacted by your teaching from your class that I was in seven years ago now is because I saw that you have such a clear love for and respect for God's word. And you have such a high view of scripture and some, such a humble view of your place under scripture's authority. And that just changed everything about how I saw scripture. I remember so clearly my first seminary class ever, it was your hermeneutics class back in Birmingham when they were doing the teaching sessions at the Church of Brick Hills. And I remember the first thing you asked us to do in our class was to set our Bibles on our desks and to get out of our chairs and kneel on the floor. And you prayed over us and you prayed that we would remember this posture as we studied God's word with the word being above us and us being in humble submission to the word. And that just kind of set the tone for the rest of my time in seminary and honestly, the the rest of my time studying scripture. Um, it's tremendously shaped how I see and read and study and savor scripture today. And um, just in your teaching, I saw someone who loved and respected God's word and someone whose God word, God's word had changed, which was just a life-changing thing for me to see. So Thank you for that. And just thank you for teaching biblical hermeneutics in such a caring and pastoral way. Can you just explain to the listeners what is hermeneutics? Hermeneutics is interpretation, Bible interpretation. So we're, you know, what we're talking about basically is the art and science of uh, interpreting the Bible. And I would add the word correctly uh, to it. I, I think hermeneutics has as its end getting to what Scripture says. That assumes that God said something when he inspired the pages of Scripture and that what he said has meaning. Uh, and so hermeneutics is just the, the process of us finding out what that is and interpreting the Bible correctly. Mm -hmm. We're going to get on towards like how we walk through that interpretive journey later on. But can you tell us like, what is the importance of having a good hermeneutic? And what is the danger in having a poor hermeneutic? 
Yeah, the you know I think the answer to both of those questions, Hunter, is are focused on the voice of God. You know, if we believe God wrote the Bible and that He spoke through it and that He speaks through it, then the importance of having a right hermeneutic is so that we hear the voice of God. Uh, the danger, obviously, is that we miss the voice of God, the danger in not having that. And when I reference the voice of God, I'm obviously talking about his truth communicated, you know, through his word, uh, in his word. And uh, that comes with the assumption that that truth is what transforms us. It's what recreates us in into Christ's image. So there's, you know, transformative power. If we don't hear God's voice, you know, when we encounter scripture, then we miss the opportunity to be changed by his truth. Mm, that's so good. Yeah, you kind of touched on this a little bit in your answer already, but maybe a different angle on that question. What is the joy in growing in a faithful hermeneutic? Well, I, I think ultimately, long range, uh, God's purpose, and I, I believe this, I, I believe the purpose of the Bible from beginning to end is uh, the recreation of God's you know, creation into what it was intended to be. And, and the, the heart, the center of that is mankind, you know, his creation of humanity. And so if that's true, you know, just backing up and and God's word is the primary agent the Holy Spirit uses uh, to bring that about, uh, then when we have a right hermeneutic, we approach God's word and we interpret it with integrity. We have the opportunity to hear his voice, be impacted by his truth, and be transformed into his image. So I, I think the ultimate joy is knowing him, obviously, in his revelation of himself, but then through knowing him, getting to see him accomplish his purpose, you know, in us, of his purpose of, of recreating us in Christ Jesus. Mm, I love that so much. And Dr. Shaddix, I'd love for you to speak to, like, I don't know, this idea that I think a lot of us maintain when we come to the text, particularly trying to have like regularly intake the Bible and hoping that maybe we would feel more transformed, you know, as we walk away from the text and we would have like some kind of like feeling that, oh, like I feel different after having engaged with it. But sometimes when we're reading some of the Old Testament passages and things like that, that can be really challenging. Like yesterday, I just read the story uh, of Deborah to my little girls, and I didn't necessarily walk away feeling like very impacted on a personal level. So can you talk to us like, what is the importance of understanding the context of a biblical passage, you know, as we're trying to faithfully wake our way through the text? Well, yeah, great question. Meaning is communicated through context. It's one of the cool things about the Bible uh, that I think distinguishes it and Christianity really from, um, uh, you know, from other major world religions. You know, uh, God's revelation didn't just fall out of the sky 
you know, there wasn't this, you know, just uh, finding, you know, a, a book somewhere that God had, you know, hidden, you know, what, but he revealed himself through history and he revealed it through a real historical nation that's still in existence today, you know, a, a real people who their culture and language and all of those things. And so, you know, scripture is historically verifiable uh, in that sense. Well, well, that that means the context of that scripture then has to be taken into consideration in order to, you know, to find its proper meaning. If, you know, we had not been introduced to one another and I was just in conversation with you and I said, you know, I, I really love these students, you know, that uh, that I'm teaching. Um, it, it would be your knowledge of the fact that I was at a seminary, you know, in a Bible college that would help you to understand what I meant. You know, if I was a, a businessman in a, you know, in an office building somewhere and I made that statement, that wouldn't make sense. The context would not kind of, so, you know, your understanding of my context would help you interpret what I meant by, I love these students that I teach. Mm-hmm. Same thing is through a scripture. You know, we, we have to look and, and, you know, and ask the question, okay, you know, when he made this statement, when this verse is in the Bible or this phrase or this word, what 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 is what is the context of it that helps us to understand what it means, you know? And so, that's incredibly important, just at the context of scripture in itself. But I also think, you know, you you mentioned the passage you were talking to your children about. Mm. Uh, this is what's so important for us to understand scripture in light of all of scripture. You know, the the Bible is a Jesus book from Genesis to Revelation. It it is about God's recreation of, you know, of mankind. And he's done that through the gospel of Christ. And so we have to think about biblical context when, you know, when we interpret scripture to answer the question, where does this text fit in that larger Bible story, in that the, the larger, you know, plan of redemption? And, and when we do that, well, you know, while we just are looking at details of a particular text, they may not wow us, you know, just like you said, you know, and just be, you know, earth shattering. But when we're able to see the contribution, the place, the role that particular story, that particular text had in the larger story of the Bible, then it opens up, you know, not only a whole new world of understanding and meaning, but what God intended, you know, in in that text of scriptures. Yes. I And for me, that has completely changed how I see scripture. It kind of brings it to life and it brings it down to earth too, you know? How can I see Jesus not only in the passages that are easy for me to understand, but in the ones that I might not as easily be able to relate so can you briefly walk us through the interpretive journey or that process of reading scripture in its original context and then gleaning the truth that is able to be applied to believers today? Yeah, sure. It, 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 you know, it's interesting. And Lauren, you when you made the connection, I knew we had had class together, but I, I couldn't remember exactly when it was. And you, you know, you referenced uh, Brooke Hills. I, rem, you know, I remember uh, you know, how, how we approach that, that course at that time. Uh, but without knowing that, without remembering that, I, I actually, you know, I thought, you know what, the best way for me to explain them 
that's to them is going back to what Duval and Hayes write in their book, mm-hmm. uh, grasping God's word, because they, they're the ones that actually use that term, you know, interpretive yes. journey. And mm-hmm. I do think it's, it's probably the simplest way, uh, you know, for us to understand this, this whole process, you know, just for the sake of, you know, listeners that may not be familiar with it, basically, you know, if you can picture a river, and on one side of that river is uh, their town, as those guys call it, the biblical world. And on the other side is our town, you know, so two towns uh, on either side of the river. And the interpretive journey is moving from the biblical town over a bridge into the contemporary town. Uh, and, and that's a, a really you know, helpful picture. Uh, that reminds us of, of, of basically four necessities, I think, in, you know, the interpretive process. One is, you know, is, is understanding their town. Uh, so we have to start in Bible interpretation by, uh, you know, a- asking the question, what did this text mean? What did these words mean to the biblical audience? And so that means, you know, we got to think about, uh, the biblical author, you know, that was writing or the biblical speaker, uh, you know, that's communicating these words. We, we got to think who about who the people were that would have first heard it or would have first read it and understand a little bit about the, you know, as we mentioned a minute ago, the context that they're in. But we don't stop there because if we do, um, we're just you know, we just have a Bible lesson uh, uh, out of history. You know, Mm -hmm. we we learned some really cool things about some people that lived a long time ago and, you know, and their situation. And uh, and that misses the, um, you know, the eternal intent of God's word, his, you know, his voice to us. So we got to move from their town uh, to our town. And the way that we we do that is we cross over a bridge, you know, this gap between then and now. And, it, you know, in in that, uh, and, and Duvall and Hayes, you know, they call it measuring the width, uh, you know, of the river. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, the way you measure the width of the river is you, you know, you're, you're asking questions like, what are the differences in culture, you know, from their town to Mm -hmm. our town? What are the differences in language, you know, from their town to our town? What's the difference in time and situation and, uh, and, and and even, um, you know, relationship with God, old covenant, new covenant, you know, so, so basically that river represents all of those differences. Hmm. Um, and, and, and that leads to the third element, you know, and, and that is crossing over the bridge, you know, which basically means, all right, you know, what, what is the, the theology, what is the theological principle that moves us across all of those differences? And so, you know, now we're thinking about uh, timeless truths. We're talking about the things that are the same for them, that are the same for us. And, and that's what we bring across, you know, a, across the bridge into our town. And then that leads to the final step of, you know, of grasping that meaning in our town, you know, just asking the question, how do we as believers today 
apply that theological truth. You know, what is it that we need to know and what is it we need to do as a result, you know, of, uh, of that. So the simple picture, but I think one that's helped very helpful, uh, you know, to me, and I, I think it has been to others of just thinking about their town, our town, the river in between and how we cross over the bridge. Are there different principles, like you said, that can help us cross over the bridge that we might seek to develop, things that we might be looking for? I haven't taken the class, obviously, but are there certain principles that you talk about or maybe practices that you use to help cross over that bridge? You know, if you just think about the the process of Bible interpretation, you know, you know purely I think it involves reading well, uh, and when I say just learning how to read the Bible well, and, and that involves reading it prayerfully, reading it and meditating on it, you know, mm-hmm. stopping to, to chew on it. You know, one of, the, one of the great things, one of the cool you know, manifestations of God's grace in this is somebody that doesn't Bible interpretation is responsibility of all believers, not mm-hmm. just mm-hmm men and women that go to seminary or or Bible college and not just preachers and teachers of God's word. Hermeneutics is something, even though, you know, we probably wouldn't use that word, but Bible interpretation, you know, right Bible interpretation is the process, uh, is the responsibility of every Christian. You know, we, we want, we want every believer that picks up the Bible in his or her quiet time to read the Bible and interpret it. And, and I think by God's grace, that is possible, you know, that that is possible, you know, without, you know, having gone to seminary or been in Bible college or being a preacher teacher. And so I'm kind of backing up and saying that to say, as believers, as children of God, we need to read the Bible well, and we re- need mm. to read it, meditating on it. We need to read it prayerfully, uh, you know, uh, praying through it. And I think reading leads to observation of just, you know, learning how to look for what's there, what is in the, you know, the text of scripture and, you know, words and phrases, images, figures of speech, you know, all all of those, you know, those types of things, asking questions, you know, reading, reading the scripture inquisitively, you know, and, and not being afraid to ask, well, what, you know, why is that there? You know, and what is, you know, what's the, the purpose of that? Why is he saying this? You know, just so observation, you know, reading, I think, leads to observation, which ultimately grows in into, you know, crossing that bridge of, all right, so what, what does that say about what I carry over, you know, into my particular context? I think that, there are, especially for us in the Western world, many other parts of the world, we have access to so many resources and helps. And I think those that have access to them are responsible for using them, you know. And so taking advantage of, you know, Bible dictionaries and Bible encyclopedias that would help us with, you know, with determining, you know, looking at the context and the culture and the background and word meanings and those types of things are are important for us to do. And so utilizing what resources we can put our hands on and learning what resources are out there, you know, for us to be able to use, 
letting those fill in some of the gaps that might be in our understanding on the surface, you know, of the text of scripture. So those are some of the things that, you know, that, that come to mind. That's super helpful. One of the helps that I have found particularly useful as I'm kind of checking my work, if you will, is the Christ-centered exposition commentary that you partook in. You know, when you approach scripture and it feels so academic, I think some people have the misconception that you're like cutting the Holy Spirit out of the process. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in biblical interpretation and teaching? Thank you so much for, uh, you know, for asking that question. I wish we had time for me to tell you just about my personal journey. But, what, you know, that the answer to that question has everything to do with me actually being a seminary professor it doesn't have anything to do with uh, loving academia because I, as I said before, I'm, that's not me. I ended up in theological education, which I didn't start out on that path, but I ended up here based on an issue of wrestling with that question right there. And, you know, or the short story is, you know, at my first pastorate, I just had a, a crisis of ministry faith in looking at some other pastors who on the surface were, they were doing what I wanted to do. They were leading churches to grow, and mm. build buildings and, you know, have big budgets and baptize a lot of people. You know, they, they look successful. Yeah. But offline, as I got to know them, I, mm. I re- realized there was some just great compromises in, in their, their walks. And God brought me to the place, you know, to realize, hey, we can we can really do this thing we do in ministry and we can do it our entire lives in a way that mm. people think we're successful at it, but all the time be doing it completely devoid of anything supernatural, mm. anything. And that scared me to death. And God used that to develop a burden to want to guard that in my own life, but also to have that conversation with other you know, young ministers. And, and that is the thing that led me you know, to ultimately be in theological education was not first and foremost to teach preaching or any other discipline, but first to have that conversation of our utter dependence on the Spirit of God in our lives and ministries. Now, I know that's a lot of background to get to your question, but I would bring that into this issue of the study of the Bible and the interpretation of the Bible uh, this is an enterprise that is otherworldly. It is supernatural. I mean, if you think about the opportunity for human beings to hear the voice of God, that's something that is beyond us. And just like every aspect of the Christian life, including the ministry of those who would preach and teach God's word, we are utterly dependent upon his spirit if we're going to get this thing right. And so if you think about it, the Bible interpretation and teaching men all the way to the teaching ministries are a Holy Spirit enterprise from beginning to end. You know, number one, he inspired the book. He wrote the book. You know, we, we know the Bible is inspired by God. His spirit, you know, breathed out, you know, these words. So you know, he's the author of the book. If we don't acknowledge that and uh, are, are not yielded, you know, in utter dependence of that, we're, you know, we're dead in the water from the outset. He inspires the book. 
he brings the illumination of the meaning of the text. Paul was, you know, very clear about this in a presence of the Spirit of God in our lives that opens our minds to the truth of God that not everybody is able to see, you know, that the unregenerate heart can't see. So inspiration, illumination, conviction as children of God, we encounter God's voice. His truth makes known to us the difference between us and our flesh and him. And so he he shows us the areas as we're reading God's word and as we're studying of our lives that need sanctification. They need to be refined. They need to be molded and shaped into Christ likeness. So inspiration, illumination, conviction, and then I think the the application. There isn't, you know, any of all of us that have read the Bible and, you know, been changed by it know that while there's only one meaning of a text, there are different implications and how they may connect to our lives at any particular, you know, situation. There's no preacher or teacher that is able to mine all of the possibilities in any one Bible lesson, you know, or any one sermon. And so ultimately, The Holy Spirit is the one that connects the truth of God to our lives and helps us to be able to understand what that means in changing the way I think, changing some things I I do, you know, my action. Ultimately, you know, it's him that does that. And then the last one I, I would say actually comes, you know, is is the work of the Spirit in our communication of His Word, and I think you know the Bible describes that best as the filling of the Spirit. And this is often misunderstood because all Christians are supposed to walk in the fullness of the Spirit as a character quality. But Luke, in the Luke-Acts narrative, uh, eight times uses the reference of filling of the Spirit in a grammatical form that is not a, it's not an adjective describing character. It's a, a word that indicates being acted upon by something other than yourself. And every time, it, all, every time it's in relation to somebody speaking the Word of God. You know, and so Peter, filled with the Spirit, you know, spoke this, you know, and and you you see that all the way through Luke's gospel and the, you know, and, and the Acts narrative. The Spirit, he empowers, you know, in his filling of the believer to proclaim God's word and to speak God's word. So I think that means when we teach it, when we preach it, he he does something in the moment of of the preaching and teaching. I think this is a reality that is available to every believer when they share the gospel, just in personal witnessing. As we communicate God's word, the spirit fills us and gives us boldness and power to do what doesn't come naturally to us. So, you know, it's possible to approach the Bible academically, just like you said, you know, and we're studying and even to get it right. Even to get Bible interpretation, you know, as far as the meaning of the text, right, but yet never experience anything supernatural, another world, anything transformative, because we have left out the dependence on the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. Uh, yes, I felt that so strongly in my during my time in seminary, especially. It was such an academic endeavor to study God's word and to do it rightly. And there's so much joy in that. But when I 
would find myself not taking time to pray and really seek the spirit's guidance in doing that there was no joy you know and yeah. there was no there was no spirit empowered transformation it was just all head knowledge you know you've already touched on this a little bit talking about the holy spirit and prayer but um what have you found helpful to take your knowledge of god and his word from that theoretical intellectual sphere in your brain to applicable real life obedience and action and heart transformation yeah, I don't know if this is the the kinds of things that you're you're talking about, but there when I, I think about my you know my personal journey, there are three three things that come to mind. One is honesty. Okay, we're assuming honesty with scripture. We study the text and we find the meaning. But assuming that, I've got to be very honest about who I am and where I am. If I'm going to see and hear what, you know, God is saying needs to happen in my life. And so just the, I'm not saying that I always do it. I've just, I've realized that if I don't do that, I'm not going to be able to transfer this truth into, you know, into real life and in my life. So honesty with myself and honesty with my situation I mean, even going back to the their town, you know, our town thing, if I'm not honest about my circumstances, I'm not going to see them in relation to the circumstances that Scripture is speaking about. So hmm. just an honesty, you know, about myself and, and my situation. And then an, another one, you know, is accountability. Uh, you know, we we live in community as believers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't do a great job of this in the Western world, but uh, uh, it's a reality. We're saved into community as a family. Uh, the Christian life is intended, not just intended to be lived out in community, but has to be lived out, you know, in community, mm-hmm. in relationship to other people. Uh, my flesh demands that I have other people in my life, you know, that are part of this, you know, this spiritual journey. So I, I found left to Jim Shaddix and his own initiative and responsibility in obeying God's word and applying God's word. It doesn't last very long. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't last in doing that, but if I'm experiencing God's word um, and receiving it and, and I'm doing that in community and, and and that certainly, you know, involves me personally, my personal encounter with God's word and study and reading, but also the teaching and the preaching of God's word in community and then just doing life with other believers to have other people that speak into my life and hold me accountable for living that out is if that's not there sooner or later, it's going to peter out, you know, my drive, my resolve. And so, you know, honesty, uh, you know, accountability. And then, uh, you know, the, the other thing that I would say is reminder <laughs> or review. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, you know, what the best way to describe it is. What I mean is, just the realization that I've got to keep coming back to the same things, the same truths. And periodically, you know, I know as a pastor and as a preacher, there are some people in congregations that they get frustrated with 
hearing the same things, you know, and studying, you know, it, it is kind of like, oh, we've heard that or we studied that we need to move on, you know, to something else. But if you look in scripture, especially in Peter, you know, in Peter's writing, his epistles, he's big on this, but it shows up in Paul's writing. Is there's just a great emphasis of reminding believers about, you know, the, the same things. And I know in my hard headedness and hard heartedness, uh, that's a, a huge need if I'm going to not only apply it, but continue to apply, um, mm-hmm. you know, God's word. So honesty, accountability, and then, you know, reminder uh, are three things that I've seen that are important, I know, in my own life and, and I think in the lives of others as well. Yeah, that's really helpful. For me, I'm in a really busy season. I mentioned, you know, we're parents of young children and also homeschooling and just lots of different elements where I love sitting down. I love studying God's word. I also know how much I need God's word. I think there's a humility aspect that where you can approach it like, oh, man, I really I need to apply God's word because I know how different I need to be today than I was yesterday. But there's like a danger in that, too, right, of seeking to move to application too quickly. What's the danger of seeking to move to application of a text too fast? Yeah. The quick answer is is just the risk of what we think to be application skewing the meaning of the text. And this happens. I know for preachers and teachers, you know, I, it's it's hard for me to read a text without fast forwarding and already thinking about how am I going to communicate this? You know, how does it relate? So it's a real big issue. But I, I think the key comes in really understanding what application is. We live in a world today, not just in preaching and teaching, but just as believers. We're pragmatic people. We, we not only want to know what's relevant, but we want to know how do you do it? We want, we want to know. And so in the Bible interpretation world, I think the idea of application has taken on a life of its own, where mm-hmm. it, it has become something probably uh, that is, you know, is, is less than, than healthy. And, and, and probably the way, I guess the way I would describe it is we think application is just a practical how you do something. Totally. And so if we read the Bible through that lens, number one, I think we misunderstand the purpose of the Bible because, the, you know, most people think the Bible is intended to be a practical manual for daily living. Yeah. So you go into it looking for that. You know, we look for, okay, how does this tell me how to make the day, you know, to live my life, uh, raise my family, you know, balance my checkbook, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. And so if we're thinking about that too quickly, you know, in the interpretation process, then what we're going to do is read that into the text. And Mm -hmm. we're going to end up looking for, to find things, you know, that, you know, that are, are there. So example, you know, let's say this was an example that was very vivid, you know, for me, because I, I remember hearing it taught this way, but if I'm struggling with anger or my family's struggling with anger, and I want to know how we deal with anger. Well, and I type in my, you know, Bible search, you know, the word anger, one of the passages that's going to come up is in Matthew chapter five, you know, where, you know, Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, I tell you, whoever's angry with his brother without a cause, you know. And so 
I've got this practical problem that I need to deal with, and that's anger. Jesus speaks about anger in this text. So I start reading that text through that lens. Right. And so I'm beginning to see everything in there as it relates to, you know, how I deal with anger or how I should deal with anger. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, you know, the, the problem with that is that passage doesn't have a whole lot to do with how to deal with anger. It has everything to do with making less of sin than God makes of it, being less serious about sin than, you know, than God takes, uh, than the seriousness with which he takes sin. So I can completely miss that. I can go in that passage and I can find, draw out some, oh, I should do this and I should not do this in order to deal with this problem of anger mm-hmm. and totally miss this larger issue of of the difference in the way we look at sin and the way that God looks at sin. You know, that's just one example of how thinking about the practical application uh, because of my current situation uh, can can uh, sh- flavor in a in an unhealthy way the actual mm. meaning of the text of scriptures. Yes, I love that, and I love just thinking about how much more richness there is in the Bible when you do study it faithfully. Like when you seek to just use it to slap a bandaid on a problem that you're having or something that you want to apply quickly, you you miss the richness that is there that you can get when you do faithfully take the time to study. So many of our listeners hope to teach the Bible in some capacity, whether it's in a small group discipleship setting, a Sunday school class, or women's Bible study. So how can we faithfully take what we've learned in our personal Bible study by using the interpretive journey, using faithful hermeneutics, and then teach that, whether it's in a small group discussion or a large group teaching? Of course, I I think if if I'm understanding you correctly, this is probably where, you know, we get into the whether it's lesson development or sermon development, you know, how, how do we put this in a form, you know, that we can communicate it to other people? Is that what you're asking? Is that it? Yeah, essentially taking what you've learned to yeah. communicate it well. And I, I know you mentioned earlier the Holy Spirit being a big part in that communicating yeah. and teaching aspect. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where we have to start is, you know, it, but it's really not starting, it's continuing, you know, and that is the realization that, okay, we know we've, we've depended on the spirit who wrote the book to help us understand what he's saying and to even convict our lives to it. Now we're going to communicate it, you know, to other people, but our dependence on him doesn't stop, you know? And so I think even in the development of a message, you know, a lesson, a sermon, uh, we've got to do that in complete dependence on him in view of our dependence on him when we actually do deliver it. So, you know, I, I think that continued dependence on the Holy Spirit I, and, and practically, you know, I would say I think preachers and teachers need to build into their process uh accountability for leaning into that. You know, it's one thing for us to talk about and say, hey, we need to be dependent upon the spirit all the way through. And yes, that is a disposition. It is a posture. But, you know, just like uh, Lauren, I think it was you, you was talking about 
that dependence on the spirit in our personal time and our, our communion with him. So, you know, that there are some practical things, you know, are there places in my process where I, I make myself stop and pray and spend some time and, you know, asking, what are you saying to me? What does this mean for me? I think that has to happen at this, this point too. You know, what are some practical things I can do in order to maintain my posture of dependence as I move on through this? Because just like it's easy, you know, Hunter, you mentioned this and the act, you know, to approach the study academically with all these tools and, you know, we laid out, we got all this and writing it's really easy to do that when you're actually thinking about putting together a sermon or a Bible lesson, you know, to begin to think more academically even. Yeah. So the dependence on the spirit, uh, you know, another thing I think is important is, you know, I, I think preachers and teachers have to think about, okay, this, this theological principle, this truth that we've brought across the bridge now and and I've applied to my own life and you know thought through how it applies to other people's lives how what am I what am I actually proposing to the people that I teach to so I think the formulation of a proposition uh, to people this is what God's word in this text is demanding of you it's not just saying to you but it's it's compelling you uh, to believe or to do. And, and I, th- I think one of the things in moving to the communication of the others is think about what my proposition, and, and that I was actually talking about this to some students yesterday. I like the word proposition more than I do the word just main idea of my talk or my Bible study or, you know, the, the, the big idea, because, you know, I can communicate the main idea of the text and, and and you still not see it as something that mm-hmm. I am compelling these people yeah. to say yes to. You know, when I when I proposed to my wife, it, it would have been foolish for me to go through, <laughs> you know, express my love for her, tell her how excited I was about the prospects of spending my life with her and, you know, just all of the cool things that could be a part of that. And then never say, will you, will you marry me? And there's a lot of Bible teaching. Uh, that goes on like that. A lot of sermons that are preached like that, you know, where, okay, we expose the meaning of the text and we lead people to get, you know, the big picture of it and even how it connects to their lives. Mm -hmm. But there's a, there's an additional responsibility for preachers and teachers of God's word. And that is we're persuaders. We are to compel people and plead with them this is weighty stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. even more than a marriage proposal. We're talking about eternal stuff here in the truth, you know, that is taught. So I think formulating a a good proposition that is driven by the right meaning of the text, this is what this text is, is, you know, this is what God is saying, you know, to you. And then I think good organization. We can talk about outlines being a rhetorical device and not a spiritual thing, But the bottom line is in the public communication event, whether it's a small group or whether it's an auditorium where a sermon's being preached, we have to take into consideration, are people able to follow us? When I go somewhere on a journey, you know, and I I plug my, you know, destination into the Google Maps or Apple Maps, you know, the 
girl's voice comes up. Well, I've got this British guy on mine now. So, you know, it's cool. They say, you know, the voice comes up and says, go 500 feet and take a right. Okay. And there's not a lot of fluff there. He's not give, uh, taking me on a tour of everything there. He's, he's just navigating, go here. And then in a mile, you're going to exit. Right. And that's what's happening with our structure of, mm-hmm. of a lesson. We, we're taking people on a journey when we teach God's word, the destination of which is to hear the voice of God. That's mm-hmm. where we want to get them to. And we have to think about structure in terms of, are we doing Are we telling them, go 500 feet and take a ride? And I think that's where a good outline uh, you know, in good structure and development comes in. It, it's not even, I don't even think the primary purpose is that people remember the points of our outline. I think the value is, are we taking them on a journey to get them to the destination and communicate, you know, communicating? So I think out, you know, just good structure is important. I think good illustrations uh, from the standpoint of both explanation and application doesn't mean everything that I say needs to be illustrated, but I need to think about key things that, that help me to connect their town with our Mm -hmm. town. Mm -hmm. And we do that in explaining concepts a lot of times with some kind of picture idea, uh, you know, image, uh, illustration, you know, story, because, the illustration, what it does is connects both sides. You know, it's something that people are familiar with, but you're connecting it to this spiritual truth that they may not be. So both explanation and application, uh, I think, are, are served well and helped by really thinking about good illustrations, you know, that connect both sides. The The other thing I would say, the last thing uh, is something I've already mentioned, and that is uh, exhortation. We have to think about uh, just the responsibility that we have to compel people to say yes to this. And that doesn't mean, you know, you have to give an altar call, you know, in your small group or even your worship service. But it does mean that in preaching and teaching God's word, Mm -hmm. we are responsible for calling for a verdict and calling on people to say yes to this, not just to fill their heads with Bible knowledge, but to, you know, to persuade them to respond to God's word. Mm. I have so many practical steps on a personal level, but if you could just encapsulate like one practical step for listeners who really want to grow in their study of God's word, what would you recommend? Um, well, at the risk of being repetitive, uh, I'll give you one spiritual and one tangible, I guess, or, you know, more, but the spiritual one is the one we've, we've already talked about. I, you know, if you back me into a corner and say, Shaddix, you got one shot to talk to preachers and teachers of God's word. What are you going to talk to them about? It's going to be that issue of utter dependence on the spirit of God. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I would say to people, um, you know, just, nurture that dependence in all of your Christian life, including uh, your navigation of God's word and, and never forget that this is an otherworldly enterprise that if we don't engage the spirit in it, it's not going to be fruitful. 
so you know that that's the the spiritual exhortation i think from a practical standpoint if i was going to put a resource in just the christian's life not just preachers and teachers but the christian's life it would be a book called living by the book actually oh. i have it Hendricks and Hendricks. This is a, you know, it's probably the most practical and readable book on Bible interpretation for any Christian. You know, not they didn't write it primarily for preachers and teachers, but you know, so that that that's a resource I would recommend. I know Dr. Hendricks has had such an impact on so many of us in the way we go about studying God's Word. One of the reasons that I started the Journey Women podcast three years ago at this point is because I felt like I had just a wealth of mentors in my own life. And it's become a tradition on the Journey Women podcast to ask each guest, who is it that's had the greatest impact on your own relationship with the Lord? Yeah, uh, my dad and mom, uh, no question about that. I don't, I I have had others, you know, uh, you know, a brother named Bill that you know, as an 11th grader, a man in our church, you know, to, who took me out on the levee in West Texas every once a week. And we'd watch the sun come up and memorize scripture and wow. read scripture and pray. And and I could name some other, you know, Roy Fish at Southwestern Seminary was, you know, was my mentor. And uh, but uh, all of that was just building on just God giving me two godly parents uh, that nurtured me in the gospel from the time I was born. And um, I, I, I wish everybody, I know everybody doesn't have that, uh, that privilege and opportunity. I wish they did. Uh, but you know, my, my, my dad wasn't a preacher. He was a school administrator, but he, he loves the Lord. They're still, still alive, still serving the Lord and, you know, in East Texas. And uh, you know, I just, they, they laid that foundation. they, they made it, uh, you know, put the pieces together that, you know, was right for the Spirit of God to draw me to him, Himself, uh, not only in salvation, but in my call to ministry, you mm. know, later on. Well, we are so grateful for your investment in us as listeners. Thank you so much for the opportunity to get to learn from you today. It's been a joy to have you on the show. Ladies, it's been my honor. I appreciate it very, very much. Thank you for what you do. I just pray God's blessings on you. We pray this conversation with Dr. Shaddix encourages you to dig into Bible study. If you need a little additional help doing that, be sure to check out our study guides on journeywomenpodcast.com under the Bible study tab. Thanks for joining us today and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on new episodes of this series as they release every Monday. If you want to catch us throughout the week, you can find us on socials at Podcast. Today's episode was mixed and produced by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On, Sound Off. We are so grateful for him and for you. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. Oh,